This episode of No Bad Food is brought to you in part by Whiskey Lane. Are you a producer of artisan food or drinks looking to get your name out there? Look no further. Whiskey Lane's team of social media, branding, and marketing experts is here to help. They'll take care of all that stuff for you so that you can focus on doing what you do best, making awesome products for your customers. Here at No Bad Food, we know that buying locally made products goes a long way toward making our world more sustainable, and that's why we're proud to be sponsored by Whiskey Lane. So, what are you waiting for? Grab your nearest artisan cheese or homebrewed IPA and run to whiskeylane.ca to find out more. And remember, that's whiskey the Canadian way. Without any. You understand. It just takes a little time. It takes a little time. It takes a little time with me. I hope you don't mind. We'll take it slow this time. Hi, I'm Tom Zalatni. And I'm Tepper Jemian. And you're listening to the No Bad Food Podcast. If you're new here, welcome. This is a show about great food and the people who love to make and eat it. Our mandate is simple, to explore, taste, and learn about food in ways that celebrate all the things that make it great. Every week we dig into a different dish, meal, ingredient, cuisine, or piece of food media, exploring the history and culture around it, sharing favorite recipes, and learning from our wonderful guests. The only rule? You gotta love it. After all, there's no such thing as bad food. Today, we are talking all about cheese, because uh, this spring, before the show was called No Bad Food, we had our second annual Munch Madness tournament bracket to determine the best food of the year. Countless guest judges phoned in week after week to cast their votes and decide which food was most worthy of the title, and in a finale that can only be described as not even remotely surprising, Cheese defeated runner-up Pies and took home the title for 2021, so we decided to dedicate a lot of content this year to Cheese, and we've figured, you know, there's two weeks left of this year, so we might as well do another cheese episode before we wrap things up. Before we hit the proverbial cheese board, we'd like to take a minute to acknowledge that the studio where we're recording is situated within the traditional and unsurrendered territories of the Ganyangahaga First Nations. As settlers, it's important that we remember when the lands we occupy are not our own, and that we engage in conversations that challenge the colonial mindset. We want to encourage you to take some time today and every day to reflect on your relationship with the land you live on and with the indigenous communities of that area. Uh, so Tefer obviously is not in studio with me today. You're joining us from lovely downtown. Lovely downtown Montreal, that's right. I uh, had a surprise schedule change this week. Yeah, that's okay. (laughs) We can do things remotely once in a while. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of fun to not be in the same room, house for once. For once. You know? It is weird, eh? Like we, you know, prior to the pandemic, you and I were already living together and working together from home a lot of the time. And then the pandemic hit and we were like, well, this is just getting extended for the foreseeable future. Well, you know, it's 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 interesting because like, yes, when we first moved in together, we were working together and then we were both working from home on different things yeah. but together. And then I was on parental leave and then like in school. So we really have been until the last like six months, basically in the same house for Four years. Kind of constantly. Yeah. Kind of constantly. And so now you have a job where you're out of the house and I have a job where I'm out of the house. And we're suddenly navigating this new thing where we are not literally just constantly uh, up in each other's business. And it's been just an an interesting adventure. It is. But we still have phones. We still have phones. That's it. I feel like now we are living like we have now lived every version of the like people who live and work together like relationship like we have had we've had every different part of it and now we're doing the part where we are working on something together in different buildings for the first time you know it's true we're really just like how many how many different forms of relationship can we have because like we've been acquaintances we've been bandmates we've been friends it's true we've been dating we were strangers once we were once strangers. We yeah. weren't strangers for very long. I knew that you existed about a year before we met, in all fairness, because we had mutual what? friends. Yeah. I didn't know you existed. Well, that's harsh, but fair. That's fair. I, I mean, it's because I knew people who went to your wedding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so shall we talk about cheese, Tom? Let's, let's do it. Let's talk about cheese. Because when I brought you onto this show as a co-host, I had already done a bunch of cheese content this year, but you haven't actually been on any of those episodes, except maybe in one of them to vote. 
during Munch Madness. And I would have I would have voted against cheese. Because you're a monster with no soul. Basically. Yeah. Um, so I thought, you know, we should we should talk a little bit more about cheese to give it its like final, you know, its final touch this year. It's its last hurrah, if you will. Well, we know that cheese, like if cheese has not officially been acknowledged by no bad food, what is it really? Yeah, exactly. Cheese yeah. is Cheese is a very good thing, and it is very good that it exists. Um, do you know how cheese came to be? Uh, somebody forgot about some milk. Yeah, basically. Um, so I was looking into this today, trying to figure out, you know, what I can find out about the history of cheese. And uh, without going into like an absurd amount of detail and research, because I had about half an hour to do this, um, what I found out is that uh, no one's totally sure. Um, so basically, the oldest written record we have of cheese uh, is from <laughs> Sumerian cuneiform texts. Cuneiform? I've never known how to pronounce that. Cuneiform? Anyway, second millennium BC, very, very old. We're talking like 6,000, 7,000 years ago. But we also know that there has been uh, evidence of cheesemaking, for lack of a better word, found in like pottery uh, from like Poland and Croatia from like seven, 8,000 years ago. Like basically lots and lots of very old records of cheese-like products, um, but we can't really agree as the world, as history, where the first cheese existed. Because like you said, cheese is a byproduct of milk that happens when milk kind of uh, not spoils, but is given time to ferment. And people have been drinking milk forever. So cheese existing is just a thing that like would happen no matter what, kind of everywhere. Yeah, I mean, cheese just happens. When you have milk and you don't have refrigeration and you're storing things in, like, skins or pottery or anything that harbors bacteria, uh, cheese happens. And, you know, we are we are betting towards the meat of why I am not a super cheese person. Is it the bacterial side of it? It's just icky. Cheese is an <laughs> icky process. Okay, but hang on, I'm going to call bullshit on this one, because you like sourdough. You have made plenty of sourdough. It is the same thing. No, it's not. Well, <laughs> I mean, like, mm, yeah, for some reason, sourdough to me feels different. I think sourdough, like, it smells nice. <laughs> like, if you come across, sourdough is more like beer fermentation than, mm. like, cheese fermentation. Sure. Um, And it's about the, like, when you smell it, you get those, like, fruity notes. Like, it smells mm. pleasant. When milk goes <laughs> And I don't, I mean, uh, so I have a thing about mold. Let's mm -hmm. just get really gross. Let's just get sure. really gross right from the beginning. My goal with this episode is to make everybody who voted for cheese feel shame. Uh, this is antithetical to the entire purpose of the show, but go on. I'm going to get fired. No, I mean, I we all get into the parts. I do eat cheese and I enjoy cheese, mm -hmm. but like when there are people who are like cheese people who are like excited about discovering a new cheese or like really want to cut through a rind of mold and eat what's inside it, mm -hmm. I, I start to feel pangs. Like, so sure. with sourdough, you brought up sourdough. So I'm going to keep talking about sourdough. Sure. When your sourdough grows mold, you have to get rid of it. Right. The, the idea is that you keep the good bacteria fizzing and bubbling so that they eat everything nasty and we don't have anything fuzzy growing on it. Mm -hmm. With cheese, when it starts growing mold, you're like, this is fancy, I'm going to put it in a cake. <laughs> okay, so, so you know, full disclosure, I am one of those people who is like very into cheese. I think that if I had an infinite food budget, cheese is a thing that I would get into in a really uncomfortable yeah. way. Um <laughs> And, and, and I get it. Worth, I mean, I grew up in a family like that. Right. My father was all about finding new cheeses covered in mold and mm -hmm. trying to convince me to try them. Sure. So yeah. it's not like I didn't have exposure. It's not like it's something that's <laughs> that's weird. I just, mm, I don't, mm, I don't like spores. It's okay. I get it. I, I think like, I mean, something you said in there that like you still eat cheese, but you just get grossed out thinking about like the sort of bacteria side of it makes a lot of sense. Like bacteria is not something that we're supposed to like, you know, like, <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of microbiologists out there reminding you that your body is 80% bacteria. 
stuff. Yeah. And only like 20% of your body's cells are actually your body's cells. Yeah. But like when we see it, you know, like mold is something that looks weird and it makes things smell different from how they're supposed to smell. Like everything we are conditioned uh, especially, you know, because we're told all the time about, like, you know, mold being bad or whatever. We're we're conditioned to be a little squigged out by it, so it makes so sense. So mold mold is not bacteria. No, but mold comes yeah. from bacteria, right? I don't think so. No. Oh, what do I no. know? Mold is a spore. It's a, it's like. Oh yeah, that's right. It's a little beastie. Yeah, yeah. but it's but, a little beastie. But yes, we are yeah. conditioned to be squigged out by mold. Yeah, and I got I got like a like a quadruple dose of that conditioning like somebody <laughs> spilled a vial Ooh. i am so i am so grossed out by sure. mold i i don't even like even like i'm like my skin is crawling talking about it like sure. even like even like mushrooms make me uncomfortable well let's let's move away from the mold of it and talk <laughs> just about the bacteria for a second because i okay. i looked into like what makes cheese age in a way that is like a positive thing and not you know going bad because like milk can go bad certainly um, but there's, you know, for whatever reason, we can also age milk to turn it into cheese in ways that it doesn't go bad and instead becomes delicious cheese. And I was like, okay, well, what is that about? Essentially, to to just read off of uh, LivelyRun.com, when I googled <laughs> aging cheese and found the question, how does aged cheese not go bad? Uh, basically, like... The reason that cheese can age as long as it can without going bad has to do with um, acid levels, essentially, and proteins building up in the milk and in the rennet uh, of the um, Mm -hmm. bacterial culture. And so, you know, cheese ages when bacterial culture gets added to the milk. Uh, And that creates lactic acid from the lactose, and that makes the milk sour. And essentially, like... (laughs) essentially the reason that it doesn't go bad is that it's too acidic for bad bacteria to tolerate Mm -hmm. that space um and so you you know you hear about like good bacteria in yogurt it's the same thing it's it's the good bacteria gets a chance to live and thrive inside the cheese changing the way that it tastes and the way that it's textured and you know aging it into say uh, like sharp old cheddar uh instead of you know just becoming gross spoiled yucky milk (laughs) <laughs> which is what would happen if you didn't have that bacterial culture added to it. So I know about rennet because I read the Little House on the Prairie books a lot mm-hmm. as a child. Yeah. Rennet is a piece of a calf's stomach, but I believe that they now have artificial rennet as well. Oh, probably, yeah. Yeah. Um, but you said that what re- the rennet does is it keeps the acidity levels high? Um, yeah, so rennet, rennet is produced inside of cow's stomachs, for instance, uh, probably also other kinds of animals that make milk. I, I'm assuming there is goat rennet as well, because goats mm-hmm. also, you know, make milk. Um, mm-hmm. But essentially, it has enzymes inside it that curdle the casein in milk. Um, Mm -hmm. So like one of the proteins in milk is casein and it curdles that um, and that uh, for whatever reason, I'm not a biologist. I don't totally understand this, but that is the thing that causes it to turn into cheese, which I find really fascinating because like it is also a byproduct of of the animal. So like theoretically, like a cow uh, come with me on this little journey here, but a cow with human hands and the ability to use them (laughs) uh, could theoretically make make cheese of itself. Like, it has everything inside it that is needed in order to make cheese, except for, like, a fridge and ideal conditions and thumbs. Just a a second, though. Mm -hmm. Um, If uh, rennet comes from a calf's stomach and calves drink milk, do calf tummies just make cheese? Uh, As a butcher, I can confirm that this is, in fact, how this works, yes. I will answer no further questions. Oh, no. (laughs) No, I, I don't think that's that's how that works. There's a temperature thing that's necessary as well for the aging of cheese that involves temperatures much colder than the inside of any living being. <laughs> no, I think that I think that originally, perhaps this is just a working theory because it logically makes sense, mm. but that some of the way that using rennet to make cheese was uh, discovered was because they used to use animal stomachs as bags. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. They they would use, you know, say, the lining of a calf's stomach as a uh, a bag to carry milk in. And yep. uh, when that spoiled, it instead of actually spoiling, turned into cheese. So I bring up the thing about the way that the bacteria in cheese being different from, say, bad bacteria like germs or whatever. Like, yeah. I think I didn't know that for a very long time. And so I was always a little bit, like, weirded out by things like that, right? And weirded mm-hmm. out by the idea of, like, 
the good bacteria that lives in yogurt. And now I'm not a person who likes yogurt, but that's just on a textural level. Like I don't have any like ideological issues with it. I don't mind the way it tastes. <laughs> Sometimes I'll mix it into things, but I can't eat a spoonful of yogurt. There's something about the mm-hmm. texture that just like doesn't work for me. Um, But when we started getting all these commercials where Jamie Lee Curtis told us how good Activia is for your body and, you know, it, it highlighted all of the things about like, you know, bacteria being good for you and whatnot, I was always a little bit grossed out and a little bit weirded out until I learned the difference. For me, learning that there is good bacteria and bad bacteria, as like simple as that concept may be, that was the thing that kind of pushed me to not just liking cheese because I like cheese, but also like embracing where it comes from and embracing the process of it a little bit more, if that makes sense. Like I, Mm -hmm. I grew up eating all kinds of cheeses. I have never had a problem with blue cheese. I was always a little bit like, yeah, this is kind of yucky, but I like it a lot, (laughs) like, you know, as a process, but it was learning about, you know, the difference between the good bacteria and the bad bacteria that I guess, tipped me over from reluctantly enjoying it to unabashedly enjoying it and having no (laughs) issue with that anymore, you know? Mm -hmm. I'm not saying this in order to try to sway you also. (laughs) I'll just make that clear. I mean, mean, I I drink kombucha, for for God's sake. Um, My whole thing is just that I think blue cheese tastes yucky. Sure. Um, And I have been getting more adventurous. Like I did eat that cheese that you like that you cut it open and inside there is cheese. (laughs) That's I look as as helpful as that description was. I do know what you're talking about. And I actually did want to talk about that cheese at some point today. (laughs) Um, But it has has like a yucky little rind and I yeah yeah um the cheese that tuffer is talking about here is a uh, quebec produced cheese in fact uh called adore uh that i think i've mentioned on the show before i like it a lot i think so you're obsessed with it it is my like go-to if we're having a charcuterie board if we're having a little like exciting party kind of situation i mean not that we have parties anymore because we live in a you know pandemic hellscape but like when we have something to celebrate and i want to get a nice cheese uh i do pick up adore from the fromagerie montebello in quebec um adore according to uh this quick little description i found here that i think is just their like um pr statement to everyone who sells it uh, is a cheese wrapped lovingly in spruce bark it is a soft pasteurized cow's milk cheese uh ripened for 21 days it has a supple ivory paste with woodsy notes and salted butter and hay and is a worthy canadian interpretation of the extremely rare and highly seasonal vacherin mondor in layman's terms when you get this cheese it is kind of an orange rind uh on the outside wrapped in spruce bark that just looks like what you would imagine spruce bark to look like uh and then when you cut the rind off the top of it uh the cheese on the inside is like at a melted consistency at room temperature so you don't even have to like heat it up or anything to get that kind of gooey texture to it Mm -hmm. um and i think i mean that's just very cool like i don't know a lot of cheeses that like are kind of liquid when you i I shouldn't say liquid it's really halfway but it's like it's creamy it's creamy it's creamy yeah it's a liquid and a solid Mm -hmm. at the same time it's it's almost like mayonnaise Oh, but it's better than mayonnaise. But gooier. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like I mean, you don't usually just... Anyway, yeah. it is a, it, it's, it's a nice little cheese. I didn't realize mm-hmm. it was wrapped in spruce bark. That makes me a little more, like, fond of it. Yeah. Well, and, and I think that part of that spruce bark wrapping, like, I don't think that that is just decorative. Um, <laughs> I, I think that it is part of what gives it the sort of woodsy flavor that it has. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's weird um, to, like, talk about cheese as woodsy, but, like, yeah, it, it is woodsy and delicious. We were talking about acidity earlier. One of the random facts that lives in my brain is that um, coniferous trees, like spruce trees, Mm -hmm. are highly acidic, and they actually change the pH of the soil around them to be highly acidic, which is why if you go into a coniferous woods, um, there's not undergrowth. They make the soil too acidic for other plants to survive. Um, And that way they they sort of create an environment where there's a lot of space for their babies to grow, right? Ah, interesting. So, um, and spruce bark also has a high concentration of vitamin C, which is acidic. Right. So I find that very interesting. I wonder if there's there's a relation there, if maybe there's a a spruce source to acidity in the making of Adoree cheese. Maybe we should have that guy on our show sometime the guy who makes the adorations yeah 
I mean, he's he's local. We probably like it's not yeah. the furthest. It's not the longest of long shots to no, suggest that. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That local is interesting. cheese makers hit us up. I would love to talk to some local. Cheese I will. Makers. I will do my best to be polite. <laughs> Before we go any further, uh, I'm going to take us on a quick little trip to the part of the show that helps us be able to afford fancy cheeses, the mid-roll. Welcome to the mid-roll. If you're enjoying the show so far and want to keep our pockets full of (laughs) creamy, woodsy cheese, (laughs) (laughs) make sure to hit subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on so that you never miss a new episode. While you're at it, consider leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or sharing this episode with a friend. For every new rating and review we get during the month of December, we're donating $2 to The Depot, our local food bank here in our neighborhood of NDG. They can turn every $1 that they get in donations into $3 worth of food for a family in need. So by doing these simple free act of leaving a rating and review of the show, you're functionally donating $6 worth of food to people who need it. There's literally no other way to turn zero into six, so if that math is exciting for you, go do it. You can read all about what The Depot is doing at the link in the description of this episode. Now that this show has been heavily focused on food for a while, we went back and noticed that all of our existing reviews on Apple Podcasts talk about the show as if it's a comedy podcast with an ensemble cast. Um, Because, you know, the show has gone through multiple iterations over the years, and these things happen. Uh, So even if you've left a review in the past, uh, now's your chance. Go update it. We'll count it as a new review anyway, because accurate reviews are more helpful than outdated ones. Uh, I'll also remind you that Teffer and I both use they them pronouns pretty exclusively so in leaving your reviews just keep that in mind don't misgender the hosts of your favorite podcast that is a bummer Mm-hmm. Lastly, if you haven't had a chance yet to listen to the other episodes that we recorded about cheese this year, uh, I am going to include a link to a handy-dandy little playlist on our SoundCloud page in the description of this episode so that you can go do that. Uh, all the cheese episodes will be right there in that playlist. We had a bunch of fun guests, including the one and only Simon Majumdar and uh, a guy named Joshua Vandenberg, who literally works as a professional in a cheese plant. <laughs> In Wisconsin, America's dairy capital. So if that sounds like fun, go hit that playlist. Check all of that out. It is a good time. I lied when I said lastly, actually lastly, uh, if you want to learn about something else that is often acidic and goes through a complicated process for the making (laughs) thereof and pairs really nicely with milk, which is what cheese is made of. How's that for a little segue? Uh, Go check out last week's episode where I talked to my friend Liana about coffee and specifically third wave coffee. And uh, you'll learn a couple things about third wave coffee and ethical sourcing of beans. I gotta say I've been enjoying that one. It starts off with some like really nice, charming talking about family and learning to cook. Uh, and it was nice. It's yeah. a nice one. And then it ends on some nice anti-capitalist moments. This is our show. Yeah, it's <laughs> true. Gotta get there somehow. That's kind of exactly the vibe, eh? <laughs> Yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we're going to talk about food unabashedly with great joy and pleasure and then call for an, uh, a complete abolition of the capitalist system, yeah. which enslave us. <clears throat> exactly. Yeah. Little column A, and f- little column B. <laughs> and good food for all. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> the only bad food is capitalism. All right, let's get back to the show. <laughs> So just before we went to our little mid-roll break, you mentioned calling up the guy <laughs> to come talk about Adderay cheese. And it would be incredible if this was me segueing to, actually, I've got him on the line right now. But that's not how we do things around here. I don't have him on the line. I have you on the line. But uh, it did remind me that I wanted to talk about Afrim Pristine. Do you know who Afrim Pristine is? He's the guy who got you into Adoree cheese. He is. So <laughs> Afrim is a Toronto, Canada-based uh, fromagier, the youngest maitre fromagier in the world, uh, which basically just means he is a cheese master. I mean, it literally means he's a cheese master. In fact, if you translate that from French to English. Uh, he's he's is... also, like, not that young. He's, like, in no. his 40s. I yeah. think just most of the maitre fromagieries are just, like, little old wizened men who live in caves with their mold well that's it yeah it's like it's it's because it is something that is very hard to become a master of and he is very young for that um but yes he is he is in his 40s uh but Um, no offense (laughs) yeah Uh, i think people in their 40s are great yeah (laughs) lots of lovely people are in their 40s 
Many, many of many people I like. All right. So, yeah. um, so Afram runs the cheese boutique in Toronto. Uh, it's a fancy cheese store. Uh, I think he, he is the third generation of his family to run the place. Um, but more, more, not more importantly, but maybe more immediately relevant to me as a person who does not live in Toronto, uh, Afram also hosted a show called Cheese, a love story that was a like four part, I think, docuseries on uh, the Food Network where he went around the world looking at different kinds of cheeses and how they're produced and tasting them and different ways to use them uh and that was where i discovered the adderay cheese when he did an episode on the cheeses of quebec another cheese that afram explored in that show was a cheese made in a place that seems very very cool and that is the four de russe uh tefer do you remember this episode is this the caverns it's the caverns in an old napoleonic fortress Yes. Yes. Uh, so obviously Napoleon Bonaparte, uh, guy in the France, had a bunch of forts, had a bunch of castles. Who fucking cares? But and was made of cheese. <laughs> he was made of cheese. Uh, and after his death, at some point, uh, people decided to turn one of his forts into a massive cheese processing plant. I guess. And now they mature cheese in his cellars, and I love it. Anti-capitalist vibes turn turn swords into plowshares turn fortresses into cheesemongers i'm here for it yeah right like i think yeah. that if we let's have... turn more fortresses into cheese <laughs> sheds that's it europe is littered with castles that are just castles it's littered with you know military fortresses that are very pretty to look at from the outside and speak to a complicated and and <laughs> long history but a lot of them are just kind of tourist traps and really we should be putting cheese in every single one of them cheese then they would be mouse traps instead of tourist traps. i love you <laughs> <laughs> um, so at uh, the Four de Russe, there is a cheese producer called Giraflor uh, that makes a very, very nice Comte cheese. Uh, Comte is a harder cheese than uh, the Adore, certainly. But it's not like a like a crunchy cheese either. It's like a pretty standard, like medium hard kind of thing. Um, and their cheeses are aged for a very long time. And a lot of them are sold in stores in North America that you can probably get and try. Uh, so if you've ever been curious about what cheese would taste like if it was aged in a Napoleonic cellar, now is your chance to try that out. It is uh, very tasty. We had some not that long ago. Yeah, we did, and it was nice. And and I um, I ate it. Yeah, you ate it and enjoyed like, it, I, I think. I did. I, I mean, did. that's the I thing. Ate like, it, it was, I enjoyed it. It was a pretty like inoffensive aged cheese. <laughs> It is pretty inoffensive. Now, I, I, for me, with cheese, like flavor profile wise, I think where I stand is I very much like sharp cheeses, Mm -hmm. and I do not really like funky cheeses. Okay, like I, I don't like Swiss. Okay, like for me, Swiss tastes like it needs to be needs salt. Mm. Like it's just a very flat flavor, and I don't like it. Right, and I don't like blue cheese. So any of those ones that are just kind of like flavor, like it's just kind of a it's it's kind of a mm. but like I do really love like a very sharp cheddar like I'm just a little baby I don't know I don't I think I would disagree with that I think that like uh, with you being a little baby not with your cheese preferences (laughs) (laughs) I know your cheese preferences better than you do no I I think I I would disagree with that making you a little baby I think everyone's you know everyone's going to like the things that they like and they're going to dislike the things they dislike and I think like cheese is one of those things that can be really complicated for that right like Mm -hmm. and, and that's why I wanted to talk about it a little bit more on this show because like there are plenty of people who do not have a palate that appreciates you know a really strong cheese and that's okay Mm -hmm. like every cheese is beautiful i i get as much joy out of you know a fancy stinky cheese as i get out of like cheese strings that are like processed and you know packaged individually in those little sticks and then you gotta peel now you're talking yeah well and and that's the thing that i love about cheese is that it comes in all these different kinds of like forms right and all these different Mm -hmm. flavors and they do that really intentionally because it is a product that you can really, really get creative work with and and work with to to get a lot of different results out of it. And like, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think that I would disagree with like the idea that only liking some kinds of cheese makes you a little baby. Because I think that <laughs> cheese is a very, ver- it's a very varied product for that reason. Mm-hmm. But I, I kind of also like, 
I agree with you a little bit in terms of where my leanings are as well. Like, I actually also prefer a, like, really sharp cheddar over kind of anything else. Like, what Mm -hmm. I, I mean, don't get me wrong. What I actually prefer is having an unlimited variety of cheeses in front of me that I can kind of swap between at a moment's notice. But, like, (laughs) the one that I keep in the house the most is, like, an aged cheddar. You know? I I like... Mm Oh, in the episode I recorded with Joshua months ago, we talked about what causes the sort of like almost crunchy thing that happens with a really aged cheddar. And I don't remember what it is. Um, It's those crystals. It's the same. Yeah. Yeah. There's some kind of crystal. Isn't it glutamate crystals just like in Parmesan? Uh, Maybe. That sounds right. People should go listen to that episode for the context. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But yeah, I, I love, I love a like kind of sharp or like a very sharp kind of crunchy cheese and and i think yeah. like <laughs> parmesan is like a perfect example of that right where like it's the cheese that you almost wouldn't even just eat straight up mm-hmm. but i will sometimes just cut a little sneaky bite off because it's yeah, you just you just gnaw on parmesan rinds like a rat i do i'm a little cheese rat <laughs> i'm a little cheese rat it's true yeah. it's true you haven't lived until you've seen tom just eating parmesan rinds oh. out of the fridge the things that i will just munch on it's true you are the most one of the most chaotic snackers i have ever (laughs) met and so you'll just i'll just be like oh you're just okay that's just what you're doing all right okay yeah i mean it works for me you know (laughs) it works for Mm -hmm. me sometimes you got to grab a block of cheese and just take a nasty old bite out of it okay so so you know we're, we're we're in the second part of the episode this is where we usually talk about you know our favorite kinds of the thing or our favorite uses of the thing and we're already kind of there like we're both you know Mm -hmm. expressing our love of a sharp cheddar um but i'm curious do you have as a person who is not a huge cheese person do you have a favorite cheese i do i have a favorite cheese that has been my favorite cheese since childhood okay um and that is havarti okay uh especially like a dill havarti Mm. Um, now it's just, for those of you who don't know what Havarti is like, I'm sorry. Um, (laughs) it's, it's such a nice cheese. Uh, I believe it's from like your neck of the woods, Tom. My neck of the woods. Uh, Havarti is, uh, I think, let me. It's a Danish Danish cheese. Okay. Yeah. Um, but like Denmark but, and Germany are, you know, one and the same historically or whatever, right? There's a, there's some overlap there. Yeah. 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 It's like, a, I would say like a, a, a semi-soft cheese, like it, you can slice it. It's hard enough to be sliced, um, but it's very creamy and soft mm-hmm. and it has these little kind of pockets all throughout. Um, it's really nice mixed with various additions. You often get it mixed. I got very into it. I mean, as a kid, I always liked it. Just I like the softness of it. I like it's like a really mellow, creamy flavor. But I got really into it when I was reading the Redwall books. Sure. As a young child, because like we we need to do an episode just on Redwall food oh, sometime. I think a hundred percent. Yes. Yeah, that would be really fun. But so because I was reading the Redwall books and the descriptions of food in Redwall are just mouth watering. Um, I spent just a whole lot of time eating like bread and cheese and fruit. Sure. Uh, because that's what they eat in Redwall and it's amazing. And I always liked Havarti. So like Havarti and like a nice crisp apple, like an, like an empire or whatever bread you like, a piece of Havarti that the flavors pair so well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also really like it just to snack on plain. Um, but my favorite thing I think to do with Havarti, well, no, my favorite thing to do is probably eat it with an apple. But my second favorite thing to do with Havarti uh, is to cut it up in little chunks and put it in soup. Mm, um, yeah. So especially like, so my favorite soup is a really, really simple like peasant leek and potato soup. Not like a blended leek and potato, but like basically broth, leeks, potatoes, <laughs> and maybe some onions. Sure, yeah. Salt. I keep it very, very simple. I think it's just one of the like most beautiful, simple foods that there is and I should make it sometime soon but doing that and then you you cut up some little chunks of Havarti and throw it in there where the soup is hot so mm. they get a little bit melty but they're still kind of holding their shape yeah oh and if you eat that with like a crusty piece of sourdough or something that's um that is like a top tier meal for me sure like 
yeah, that's oh, I love it. Yeah, I love that. And it and it also just like beefs the soup up a little bit. Um, yeah, well, that's it. Like I I think because soup can sometimes be like not flat, but um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like not even empty, just light. I guess not too filling. Yeah, it can yeah, be light, and sometimes light. depending on what's in it, it cannot hold you over. Yeah, um, but throwing some cheese like in there, soup. like yeah, yeah. exactly, because cheese is a is a protein. You know, yeah. you throw cheese in there and all of a sudden it's like, oh, this is actually going to like sit in me for a while and give me what I need to get through the day instead of just being tasty. I mean, soup, bread and cheese is a classic for a reason. Yeah. We just we just I just actually went to um, our friend and friend of the show, uh, Gab's birthday party. That's mm-hmm. Gabriel from our Patreon. Mm-hmm. And he just he just had a soup party <laughs> where it was just two pots of soup and like bread and cheese. That's perfect. And. It was perfect. It was so good. And he made like, oh man, two soups. One was like this peanut soup and the other one was butternut squash. It was all very good. It was a great meal. It was a good time. I'm... I'm really a fan of that kind of dinner party. Yeah. I, I, I frequently think about the idea of having a potluck that's like everyone brings the same kind of dish, but their own take on it. I think that is a really Mm. fun concept. So like a soup party or like a like a sandwich party you know where everyone brings different kinds of sandwiches i love the idea of a sandwich party but instead of everybody brings different kinds of sandwiches it could be everybody brings different stuff to put in a sandwich sure yeah and you're just in charge of the bread yeah yeah we're gonna do that for your next birthday aren't we i don't know we'll see i don't think my next birthday is gonna be a social event yet we'll see (laughs) (laughs) oh what is the world I know. I remember last year when I was like, I'm turning 30 in a pandemic, but it's okay. I'll do it up for my 31st. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Someday. Now I'm like 30, 35th? 35th. 35th feels like a safe yeah. bet at this point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think when I when I try to pinpoint what my like actual favorite cheese is, honestly, I think for me it's just like whatever – Whatever the oldest cheddar I can find in the store is any given week, I'm not like too picky about brands and and the age of it. But like if it's labeled extra old, I'm going to take it over the one that's just labeled old. If it's like a four year age cheddar instead of a two year, I'm going to take the four year. Like I always I always gravitate toward the oldest cheddar. And again, I think it comes to the like sharp kind of like salty crystally kind of thing that happens with an aged cheddar like it is just it is the thing that I want the most often I have it on toast in the mornings I will like grate it on top of pasta dishes to bake in the oven like it is uh it is my perfect cheese you know well I mean sharp cheddar is a classic there's a reason that it is in every grocery store right it's a wonderful cheese yeah. you bite into it it makes your mouth water immediately it's tangy it's salty that's one of the cheeses that I will just like. I don't often just eat a piece of cheese for a snack, mm-hmm. but lately I have been more because my snacking options have been limited sure. by uh, by gluten. And so now I will actually just eat a piece of cheese. Or like ch- sharp cheddar is another one that's fantastic with apple. Yeah. Um, oh, truly, cheddar truly. cheese and apple pie even is, yeah. is a classic combination. A controversial um, classic combination, but a classic combination nonetheless. Okay, but actually I would like to talk about that. This sure. is another thing I feel passionate about. Um, I feel <laughs> I'm just I feel like I'm just carving myself a little niche here where I'm the produce guy. Sure. Um, but I would like to put a real a real plug in for cheese and fruit as a combo. Yeah. Uh, I grew up eating a lot of cheese toast. Uh, we did not do proper grilled cheese because my parents were really afraid of fat. Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> we did do melting cheese on bread in the toaster oven. That's right. our version of grilled cheese. And um, what I started doing young and uh, continue to do today when I feel like eating bread, even though I shouldn't, is a grilled cheese, especially a sharp cheddar with a little bit of jam. Mm. Now, a ch- grilled cheddar with apricot jam, I think, is like a top-tier combo. It's yeah. so good. But you can do pretty much any jam. Like, cheddar cheese with apple butter is great. Blueberry and cream cheese is really nice. Mm. Um, I mean, if you think about a blueberry cheesecake, right? That's, right. that's essentially the same thing. And now I just want to go get a blueberry cheesecake. <laughs> <gasps> oh. Yeah. Um, well, it's interesting that you bring that up. Like, like I think... I think you're absolutely right though like 
cheese and fruit go really, really well together. Like um, Simon Majumdar in the episode that he recorded about cheese this summer, you know, brought to me the idea of a peanut butter and jelly sandwich with blue cheese. And now I know you're not going to touch blue cheese with a 10 foot pole, but that same sandwich with like a sharp cheddar, I think would also be fantastic, you know? Yeah, I was, I know like blue cheese in, in sweet things is like a thing. And I just, blue cheese for me, like it ruins a flavor profile. Like I really don't like it. (laughs) I was watching season two of Zimbo's Just Desserts this weekend. What I did this weekend was I had to finish up a bunch of whales because I sew whales. So I like turned on Zimbo's Just Desserts and just watched through it because I really like that show. And there was somebody who was making a like, the guy who I think, um, the, the guy who was my favorite in the competition, Simon, um, did a like pear mousse with blue cheese and for me i was like why'd you gotta ruin it like that but they all loved it they thought it was great yeah well that's it like i I, again blue cheese is one of those acquired tastes that not everyone is going to acquire (laughs) for me like blue cheese is one of those tastes which is like like me with seafood like i'm not a big fan of seafood Mm -hmm. and with both of those i have so much shame around it i wish I liked them. They're like they're like benchmarks. They're like palate benchmarks, you know, where people are like, "Oh, do you like this?" And if you don't, like, who doesn't like seafood? But I'm just like, there's just a little guy in my brain who's just like, no, <laughs> no, don't want it. You know, Mm-mm. I think it's okay to have a couple of things like that. I don't know. Like, I I think it's I think it's not okay to let those things make you judge other people's diets. But I think it's totally yeah. fine to have them for yourself. You know. I try fish every few years. I'm like, no, now you're going to grow up and you're going to like fish. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, and I don't. <laughs> I don't. I don't like how it tastes and I don't like how it feels and I don't like. <laughs> I feel like I am eternally middling on fish and seafood where sometimes I will have a craving and I will eat it and I will enjoy it a lot. And then the rest of the time I'm like, I could take or leave it, you know. Like I, I had some very yeah. nice like uh, tuna tataki the other night at uh, mm-hmm. the work Christmas party, and like that's because our fish guy is uh, an absolute genius, and like you know he could serve me anything fish based, and I would at least try it because you know you gotta, um, and that was very good. But like it was also not one of those things that I would seek out, you know? Yeah. 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 Totally. So I, I understand having those things where you're like, eh, like I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna jump through hoops for this like yeah yeah well thank you and I do think that part of like part of this project being a no shame food project right Mm -hmm. is is also acknowledging that not everything is for everybody yeah and um something I've like made a real effort to do in recent years is to just stop judging people for what they like or don't like yeah like nothing is for everyone yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) um you know i've known people who don't like chocolate i've known people who don't like coffee like you don't have to like everything it's okay it's okay to say no that's not for me that's it um and nobody should be rude about that exactly it's when people get sanctimonious about the things that they like or don't like that it like becomes a problem you know well I, i think this is why i don't think i will ever identify as a foodie sure because when i see somebody who calls themselves a foodie what I often see in that culture is just a lot of snobbery and a lot of like why would you eat that when you can eat this and why would you eat that cheap option or that convenience option when you can do this instead and I think there's there's not only a lot of like classism and, and accessibility issues um there's also a lot of like ableism in the disdain towards convenience foods or the disdain towards people not liking particular textures or particular flavors because um, various forms of neurodivergence can really affect how you experience food. Yeah. And I know we've talked about like food and parenting before, but like it's really important to me as we like, and I know you talked about food and parenting in the episode with Liana as well. Um, it's really important to me that like we don't shame children for like not getting into something right away and like like I think for me like there are there are tastes that I have acquired as an adult um that I did not used to like I didn't used to like kimchi now I love it I didn't used to like kombucha now I love it um a lot of those strong flavors and and it's because we're hardwired to eat things that we're familiar with so that we don't accidentally poison ourselves yeah like this this aversion to new flavors is actually a biological defense mechanism <laughs> that keeps us from eating poison. Right. 
<laughs> so like really with children, we should be like honoring that yeah. and like saying, hey, cool, you're listening to your body. Your body is saying not that slimy thing. Right. Cool. Yeah. You know, you don't have to eat the slimy thing. You can listen. You can trust your gut because honestly, we're, we're supposed to be teaching our kids to trust their instincts. Right. Yeah. And uh, I think that's one of the ways to do it. And if we're going to extend that respect and courtesy to our children, we got to extend it to everybody. Yeah. Including ourselves. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. On the like foodies thing, I think you're absolutely right that like I have at various times like called myself a foodie, identified as a foodie, but not in the way that like I feel like a lot of people online call themselves foodies. Yeah. To the point where I like right after you said that, I was like, you're right that like most of the time that term gets thrown around by very privileged people which I don't feel like I am a lot of the time. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. I went and updated my Instagram bio and instead of foodie, now it says food lover, which feels more accurate. But like there is, uh, there was an article I had to read for my food and religion class this semester that was like, we interviewed, you know, 15 foodies and talked to them about food. And like, at some point it was like 13 of the 15 foodies we interviewed were straight white people. (laughs) I was like, Oh yeah, there's a, Mm -hmm. that that's, a bias that's going to show up in here and like Mm -hmm. yeah there was a lot of really judgy crap especially about convenience food and like as someone who grew up having to eat convenience food and as someone who still eats a lot of convenience food I'm like I cannot fathom judging people for having to you know eat something that is like not the finest ingredient or whatever and like yeah Leanna and I talked about this a bit last week that like it is not about the consumer at that point. It is about the system and it is about the world that we live in where, you know, convenience foods are convenient for a reason. And like, they may not be the highest quality thing, but that doesn't mean you Mm -hmm. can't love them, you know? Well, and bringing that back to cheese, if I may, for a moment, consider the humble cheese stick, right? We talked about it earlier. There are, cheese is a very diverse category of food. We got into this a lot in the Munch Madness um, talking about cheese, but cheese can really be anything. When you think about the difference between like a hard, sharp Parmesan to a blue cheese, to a cream cheese, to a mascarpone, like to cottage cheese, to fresh mozzarella, to aged mozzarella, like there's, there's such a variety of textures and flavors and applications and uses. Um, it's really kind of endlessly versatile. A goat cheese is miles different from a sheep cheese is miles different from a cow cheese. Um, and there's camel cheese. Like you can do anything <laughs> with cheese. Yeah. But one of the really wonderful things about cheese, and I think one of the things that makes it as popular as it is, is that it is very easy to make a cheese that is a mild, um, unoffensive, easy to eat, very nutritious mm-hmm. food. Yeah. And the cheeses that are widely available in our grocery stores are widely available in our grocery stores because they are widely appealing mm-hmm. um, to everybody, including children. I really love being able to give my kids a cheese stick because I know that they will eat it, they will enjoy it, and it will give them, like, protein, fat, it'll taste good, and it'll, like, give them enough calories to keep going for a while. Yeah. And that, that in and of itself is enough to appreciate cheese for, even if you don't appreciate mold and nutty notes and (laughs) the particular... Um, temperature at which to serve it and all the things that people who are, for example, maître fromagier um, appreciate about cheese. Yeah. It's enough to say, I just really like a cheese stick. That's it. That's that's still cheese appreciation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, dear listener, in whatever form you like your cheese, we like you so much for being here with us for this week's episode of No Bad Food. Thank you so much for listening. Do you want to be part of the conversation? You can hit us up on Twitter and Instagram at NoBadFoodPod, at Tom Zalatni, and at TufferBear. If you like this episode and you want to help us make the show even better and put cheese money into our pockets, you can go to patreon.com slash nobadfoodpod to donate. For as little as a dollar a month, you'd be joining the ranks of fine folks like Patrick, Gabriel, Kendall and Carlea, Thomas, George Poppy, Killian, Sarah, Angelica, Anne, Andrew, Laura, Chantal, and the world's oldest maitre fromagier, David. Our patrons get access to all (laughs) kinds of awesome perks, including the ability to request topics for episodes of the show. So if that's exciting for you and you want to help shape our 2022 content, because that's where we're at at this point in the year, that's 
That's horrifying. You can head to patreon.com slash nobadfoodpod to make it happen. We also have merch, and you can hit the merch link in the description to get all sorts of great stuff from our lovely friends over at Public. And, of course, you can support us for free by leaving a rating and review on your podcatcher of choice, especially Apple Podcasts, and by sharing this episode with a friend. Maybe share it with a friend who likes cheese. This episode was a real journey, eh? It was. A journey into cheese. What a nice journey. Cheese journey. Thank you for joining us on our cheese journey. <laughs> our theme music is by... Our theme music is... Ooh, baby, do you like our theme music? It's by Zach Ingalls. <laughs> our cover art is by Mitra Fromesh and David Flam. You can find <laughs> links for both of them in the description of this episode. And last but certainly not least, this show is produced and edited by me, Tom Zalat, and I as part of the Upford Network. You can find out about all the great shows on our network at upfordnetwork.com. Hey, Tom. Hey, Dever. Do you think we could get David to redo our logo with us as wheels of cheese? Uh, I think he has to, and he has to do it for free. Okay. Yeah. It's his job as the maitre fromage. Bingo. Bango. Bingo. Manchego. <laughs> See you next week <laughs> for the last episode of 2021. Uh-oh. Pew. Pew. Pew, pew. <laughs> Air horn. You understand. Just takes a little time, it takes a little time, it takes a little time with me. I hope you don't mind, we'll take it slow this time. On behalf of the Canadian people, welcome to to the Gay and Grey podcast. Gay and Grey Montreal is a new social group for English-speaking gay elders from the 2S LGBTQIA plus communities. So it's a good way to at least connect with people. Members share their experiences, memories, and opinions on our podcast. Welcome to our community. I hope you feel well. I hope you feel accepted. And I hope that you can share anything that you want. This is some of my story. And I hope you enjoy it. Oh, I have a great story. <laughs> hey, I'm October Jones. Hi, and this I'm is- Fish with Legs. I'm a fish with legs. Fish. I'm the elemental creature of water. And I'm here to tell you about my podcast called October Jones and Fish with Legs. Starring me and my best friend, <laughs> October Jones. Nailed it. October and Fish is a fictional series that follows me and Fish with Legs as we try to stop an evil two-headed snake from releasing a terrible monster. And make friends, and go on adventures, and get captured a lot, and escape a lot, and encounter racism. And what? And learn very special lessons every third episode. I have not learned a single lesson. Yes, you did. We learned about being friends, and authoritarianism, and colonialism, and how to defeat a giant crab. Authoritarianism? They're in authority for a reason, Fish With Legs. If everyone followed the rules set in place by the human government, then there wouldn't be- for adults and kids. (laughs) New episodes on Mondays. You can find it wherever you find podcasts, and of course, on the Upford website.